<laughs> Say, take me, take me. All right. Well, um, good morning uh, about the House of Neighborly Services, um, that they're going to do a, a food drive. I almost said a blood drive, but that would have been a whole different thing. Uh, I caught myself, but a food drive. And um, for the next three or four weeks, we'll be collecting that. So uh, we don't have a, a, a strict deadline on that. But in the next three or four weeks, you can bring that in. Uh, maybe you saw in the paper or in the Herald that there's... Hey, Craig. Hey. <laughs> um, that they um, are in great need, um, both because prices have gone up, so people are maybe not giving as much, and people are needing more. So you have a, a double double whammy hitting on that. And also, if you have extra veggies from your garden, they'll take those as well, I think is my understanding. So, um, so that, those are a couple things. I encourage you to, to think about that. And as you're also thinking about needs locally, um, Ed, can you turn me down just a little bit? I feel like I'm really loud. That would be awesome. Um, also, for one of the missions organizations that we sponsor is African Children's Missions, and they help um, kids that they provide food, but also education for them. And I received a flyer, maybe some of you guys did too, some of you sponsor a child that came in, and it's talking about in Uganda, how household items have gone up even more than they have here in the States. You think it's bad here, um, listen to some of these numbers as compared to prices in January. Um, rice has gone up 33%. Beans have gone up 36%. Diesel fuel has gone up 88%. Um, posho, which I guess is, is kind of a grain. It must be like a staple, like a rice, has gone up 89%. Cooking oil, 100%. Soap, 129%. So you, they, they sent this out to say they have extra needs right now. And, and maybe you, you received your... Um, check from, te- from the state with your tax, some of that money back, and you're like, I don't know what to do with that. Well, um, one wonderful way to, you can, you can send it to, to African Children's Mission and um, be able to help them. And if you need more information about connecting with them and making sure that they um, receive some of that, or House of Neighborly Services, same deal. We can help feed those around us and care for those around us as we want to, to love and help with those tangible needs so that then it opens doors for gospel presentations as well for the true hope that they need. So Oh, and oh, I'll say for that for the end, there's so many things. There was a short lull in, in July where I was like, oh, man, we get a rest. And then August begins and we're, we're busy again. But in light of that, in light of kind of that busyness and kind of, wow, we got lots going on, school starting, all these different things as we enter in to this fall season, we need, even before we begin this morning and we pray, just a moment just to be quiet before the Lord. And I had a couple verses um, from our passage that we have today. I think I, that I, I well, I thought um, possibly I was near near death's door. Uh, well, we were in St. Louis, and um, this a couple weeks ago, as you guys know, we went to St. Louis, and one of the things we did was to go to um, Six Flags um, in St. Louis. And um, they have amazing roller coasters. We went to, with this year, we, we set aside money to get um, season tickets to Elitches, and we forgot how good um, a, a normal, a larger um, amusement park is. And we went on some amazing roller coasters, and then we finally got to one that was, I wanted to go on a wood roller coaster, and they have this ginormous wood roller coaster at, Saint, at Six Flags um, St. Louis. And... Um, 
It's called The Boss. Let me just read a a quick description um, of The Boss here from online. It says, after the first 100, you have this 150-foot double-down drop, you'll tunnel right through the middle of an incredible structure, then blaze a super-fast 65 miles per hour up the next lift. Right about now, you're starting to realize this isn't your standard roller coaster. And then it goes on, it says, you'll feel like a bird coursing over the peaks and valleys at this point. And then later it says, giving you a a feeling of total freedom combined with total power. You'll feel unstoppable on this ride. Um, You'll feel like the boss of all things wild. Now, I can tell you, I did not feel like a bird soaring over valleys and mountains. I felt more like a bird in a cage and someone was going like this. And I went down that first 150-foot drop, and I, I remember, I thought to myself, I do not like wooden roller coasters anymore. And my head was like, and it was like, I thought my head was going to explode. And I was like, oh, oh, when will I get off this thing? And I realized I was too old to do wooden roller coasters, I guess. But then I remembered that the guy who loaded us said it was a three-minute ride. And I was like, no, let me off. But sometimes uh, life feels a little bit like that, where we feel like the bird in the cage, and someone's going like this to us, and... I'm like, Lord, I just want off this ride. Um, I don't know if you felt that way. Maybe this summer, this, this year, uh, and if you haven't, um, it's coming, right? <laughs> we have seasons where we walk through that and just want off a little bit. And the psalm, it's a psalm that kind of delves into that kind of time and in the description that we see of David. And we see this is a psalm of David, a song at the at the dedication of the temple, and maybe your translation even says the dedication of the house. Uh, so there's, there's uh, some debate on exactly what is um, the dedication going on. Is it the temple? Is David, he writes, because he was not at the, the establishment of the temple that his son Solomon built, but maybe he wrote it beforehand, and this is to be used, or possibly for his palace, a dedication there. But either way, we have this psalm of praise where there's a lot of wrestling, of going back and forth, diving down deep, and a resurrection almost of life that we see in this, this trial. And we see that the Lord saves and he redeems, but we also see that this life is full of both sadness and sickness, and these momentary troubles that hopefully, now we know Not just hopefully, but we know in light of all eternity that the joy and gladness that breaks through as we entrust ourselves to the one true God and to our Savior Jesus Christ will break forth in in much more abounding and and everlasting joy that comes through it. So as we look at this psalm, there's lament, but there's also thanksgiving. There's kind of a back and forth between lament and thanksgiving, and and we see this resurrection um, of new life even in this psalm. And the contrast you're going to see, be looking for these, sickness and healing. We have mourning and joy, silence and joyful singing, night, morning, death to life. And we all walk through these seasons to one degree or another. And some of you have delved deeper into some of these seasons than some of us. And others of us are, are, are nearing those seasons that we don't, don't know yet are coming even. But we're reminded in this psalm that even though we walk through those valleys, they're not the end destination, but salvation and joy and celebration and the mercy and the faithfulness of our God is coming. So we can be reminded of that and encouraged. And there is a picture of, the, of a resurrected life, a new life in this psalm. So we begin in verses 1 through 5. It's a, there's a praise, there's praise that bursts forth of this resurrected life. Let's look at verse 1. David writes, I will extol you. O Lord, 
for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. There's this beginning, this bursting forth really of praise. It's that I extol you, I, I lift you up, I praise the Lord. And we wonder, well, what, what exactly is this reason for praise? And we're going to see as we, we look down that there's rescue. There's healing that has happened, that he's been healed. And he has been drawn up, it says. He's been maybe lifted up or drawn up. And this is that picture of that of a bucket in a well of water being drawn up out. So he's been drawn up out of the well. He's been lifted up. He's been at the, the depths, um, knocking at death's door, and now he's being drawn up by the Lord. He's been lifted up by the Lord in rescue. Charles Spurgeon, he writes this in regard to, to this idea in this verse. This is, grace has uplifted us from the pit of hell, from the ditch of sin, from the slough of despond, from the bed of sickness, from the bondage of doubt and fear, have we no song to offer for all of this? And we see that David has a song to offer. He's been drawn up and he breaks forth in praise. And we also see, too, that David, his life was sustained, not allowing his enemies to, to, to rejoice over his demise. And um, we see David break forth in praise. Verse 2, O Lord, my God, I, I cry to you for help and you have healed me. So here we see that picture that he's been healed. He cries out to God, and God's answer to that prayer and healing has come to David. I think back in Psalm 27, as we kind of connect and see themes in these psalms, Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14, where he said, I believe that I should look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. As he's wrestling again with different difficulties and sorrows, he says, I know I'm going to see God's goodness. Even in this life, I'm going to see it. And here's this picture of him being healed and him seeing even the goodness of God as he waits upon the Lord. And then verse 3, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have restored my, me to life from among those who have gone down to the pit. And we see then in the poetry of the psalm, there's this progression from verse 1 to 3. In verse 1, we see he was drawn up. Um, you, you've not let my foes rejoice over me. Verse 2, you, you've healed me, you've helped me. Verse 3, you brought up my soul from, the, from Sheol, from the grave. You've restored my life from, from near death. There's a restoration that happens there. And we see this picture happening. And I think as we look at that, we can even be challenged in heart and be reminded in heart when we, we do find ourselves in those bottom pit moments, even those of physical ones, as David speaks of healing here. Um, do we quickly go to the Lord in prayer, lifting up our voices to Him. And I, I, I need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we, we just are busy. Our minds are so just busy, and, and we maybe have so much distraction in our life that we forget, I need to pause before the Lord and, and lift up my voice to Him in prayer. Help me. Heal me. A couple weeks back, I came across an article by Ed Welch, and he's a counselor and an author, a Christian author and counselor, and really hopeful guy, posted the article on, on Facebook, it, it was just called Closeness Comes Through Fire, and he talked about that, just that idea that it's a grace of the Lord, that he often uses suffering sometimes for that of us, for progressive sanctification, but he tied it into that of, of not just becoming, not the type of sanctification looking at just being obedient, but drawing us near to God, that he uses a lot of times these sufferings to, to draw us closer 
nearer to our Lord. And I, I, I think that is true. I know that is true. And we have opportunity to cry out to him and come before him when these difficulties come. And then, too, in these three verses, we do see a prayer that he had prayed for help. But we see a breaking forth in praise that the Lord has answered his prayer. And I'm reminded at heart sometimes that I receive um, the Lord's answer and even healing or um, getting over a, a sickness or an injury. And I forget to be still before the Lord and say, Lord, I praise you. Not even just still before the Lord, but before others saying, look at what the Lord has done. And may we be reminded in heart as we recover and even noticing and remembering that God's um, general graces, common graces poured out as doctors are given wisdom and uh, as there's advancements in medicine that bring about healing and we give thanks to our gods. May we be those people who pause and give opportunity to, to extol our God, to praise our God and to thank our God. Be quick to do that and even seek opportunities to, to tell people the goodness of our God. Verse 4, sing praise to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Again, this continued praise that happens here. Sing praise. And here the writer just doesn't personally do that, but he calls, the psalmist calls all the people of God. Sing praise. O you saints, come on. Let's sing praise to our God. Look at what he has done. And we bring others in to the goodness of our God. And he brings out praise to the Lord who is holy. In verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So we see that contrast if we've seen um, the healing, um, a sickness and healing, and now we see that of, of anger and favor that we see here. And we see, too, that this sickness of David must have been had some spiritual issue as well um, in his sickness that was tied up in it as, as we see um, later too as well, just a repentant heart of David. But here we see that the anger of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord, it's, it's for a moment. He reminds him it's for that moment. But the favor of God, it's, it's for a lifetime. It far exceeds the discipline of our God. And we know that we have a God who is good and just. We often talk about that, that we do desire for a God who does justly judge and, and corrects and judges all wrong, especially when we experience it against us, right? We're quick to, to see that, but we have also a God who is a loving Father. In Hebrews 12, we looked at that several weeks back, and we see that as God is our Father, as a good Father, lovingly disciplines His children, so our God is one who lovingly disciplines His children as well. And we see that. Uh, we need correction from the Lord. We need His discipline. Um, just as a, a child needs correction and discipline, um, we need that as well from our, our loving Father. Uh, there's a need for discipline. I, I was reminded, as I was thinking about that this week, how early on when we were, I think it was um, with a, a social worker as we were going through the dis, um, adoption process, and there, the social worker was talking to us about um, parenting and some discipline and different things. And I think she said something to the effect of never say, never tell your kids no. Um, don't tell them no. So she said, like, if they're, maybe they're going to do, like, 
you know, my, this, I may be putting some words into her mouth, but taking a fork and putting it in a light socket, you, you don't say no, you grab a ball and you say, hey, look at this red ball over here. And then I thought to myself, well, what if we take that red ball outside and it rolls into the street and there's a car coming. Can I say no then? And they say, no, you got to grab another blue ball. Come look at this blue ball. No, um, there's just a reality that we, we need instruction um, and we need discipline and the Lord um, brings discipline, but for a moment, but his favor far exceeds his grace and his mercy far exceeds his just discipline and his judgment as well. We see that here. We've talked about that also in the picture that God gives us of himself when he declares himself. And I could not but go back to this as we see the parallels in Exodus. as We talked about Exodus 33 where Moses says, hey, show your glory, glory to me. May it pass by me. And he, God says, I'll let my goodness go. And we have the goodness and the holiness of God mixed. And then as God describes himself in Exodus 34 verses 6 through 8, he says, I'm the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he leads out in his favor and his grace and his mercy, keeping steadfast love for thousands, remember, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. But who will not by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? We see the comparison that the judgment of God is for a moment, but his mercy and grace is is for thousands. So we're reminded of that contrast. But then there's also a contrast of, of sorrow and joy. Contrast of, of sorrow and joy that we see in this verse. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And the, in the context, this is a sorrow and joy in regard to the discipline of the Lord, but we understand this, this sorrow and joy in all sorts of seasons in our life where there's a moment uh, of sorrow, but we're reminded that there is joy coming. Night doesn't last forever. The morning's coming. The sun will rise. And that's the picture that we see here and we're reminded of. In light of all eternity, our sorrows will be for a moment. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says it this way in chapter 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose, so we do not lose heart. I think maybe I have that verse, Ed, possibly. Though outwardly, the outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the unseen things are eternal. Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Or Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So you're just reminded that the suffering is for a moment, but the glory is if we are those who have turned and trusted in Christ, they're, they're for eternity. I think mourning too, as the sun rises, it reminds us day that there's new resurrection life in Christ and hope in Him. Um, a couple years back, I'm going to grab something here. Um, maybe three years back now, I don't know, maybe more. Um, Greg Deacon, maybe some of you guys know him. He was a, an elder here, and now he's serving out in, in Washington State. And he gave me this, um, this prayer um, and this, this picture here. It's a liturgy of the of the ritual of morning coffees from every moment holy 
Um, it's a book that I've read some prayers from before to us, and it reminds us of that resurrection daily that we have in Christ, this new life we have in Him. It says, Meet me, O Christ, in the stillness of morning. Move me, O Spirit, to quiet my heart. Mend me, O Father, from yesterday's harm. From the discord of yesterday, resurrect my peace. From the discouragement of yesterday, resurrect my hope. From the weariness of yesterday, resurrect my strength. From the doubt of yesterday, resurrect my hope. From the wounds of yesterday, resurrect my love. Let me enter this new day aware of my need and awake to your grace, O Lord. Amen. So we're reminded um, of the newness that we have in Christ. We can't think about this resurrection without looking to the resurrection of Jesus, to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, our our hope of, of new life, of joy in the morning comes from that resurrected life of Jesus Christ. This is from John 16, 20 through 22. As Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's heading toward the cross to crucifixion, to death. And he speaks to them and lets them know that joy is coming. Truly, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, Jesus says to the disciples, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So Jesus is saying, yes, I will die, um, but I will return. I will rise again and joy will come. There'll be sorrow for a moment, but there'll be joy that no one can take away from you. And that's the truth. If we've turned and trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there's a new life that we have in him, indestructible joy that comes with Jesus as he is risen. Amen. But we must note, too, uh, but if we in this life choose to live apart from God, to reject Him and rebel from Him and desire to live a life away from Him, we will not find rest in eternity. We'll experience the just judgment for our sin and we'll continue to experience that um, absence of God that you've pushed away and desired to to set aside for all your life. And there's a moment, though, now to know that there's opportunity still to repent and believe and trust in Jesus Christ and find that joy, that resurrection joy that comes of being forgiven and knowing that we have an eternity waiting for us with him. And then, as we continue, there's, in verse 6 through 10, a prayer, a repentant prayer. And we see this repentant prayer of a resurrected life. It says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved by the favor, by your favor, O Lord. You made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. So he begins and he just says, as for me, as for my, my prosperity, um, or my, maybe your Bible says, my, my security or my ease. And David, in contrast, he's talking about the prosperity 
ease the security in self compared to versus the security found in God. So David's self-security, self-ease, self-prosperity, he felt himself to be unmovable. Uh, but this didn't last for long because we even in this psalm, we see that he went down to the depths where a death was knocking at its door. And all of our self-security really uh, is so fragile. Alan Ross, who's a, a um, commentator and a, a Bible scholar, he wrote this, of this verse. He said, in, some, in so many places today, believers do become self-sufficient until God does something in their lives that bring them to their knees. Those moments are often very troubling, but understood in the light of his favor, we lead to greater devotion and greater, joy, or greater glory for God. I think that's true. The Lord uses those things. For us, And then again, verse 7, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. And then he begins to acknowledge and recognize that it's by God and by his favor that he is able to stand strong, that the mountain stands strong, that maybe he's speaking of maybe even his reign or his rule that stands strong. It's by the favor of God. And if God were to remove his favor, remove his face, he would be greatly dismayed, troubled, even just terrified. And we have to remember where our strength is. Um, it's not in ourself, um, self-security, our prosperity, our self-ease, but in our God. Remind you again of Ephesians 6.10, where Paul taught us, as we studied through that, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Or 2 Timothy 2.1, where Paul says to Timothy, then you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I just keep going back to that over and over the last few weeks. One last quote from James Montgomery Boyce, another pastor and author, said, Self-confidence, rather than God-confidence, is a common failure among us. I think it's true. Self-confidence rather than God-confidence. Blessed as many of us are, we have an abundance, maybe abundant wealth, our enviable education and technical skills. As people, we think we can prosper by our hustle. I think that's, if that defines a people where people that... Um, in America, at least, um, that we think we can prosper by hustle, right? As a church, we often think that we can manage our affairs and advance our work by secular skills and fundraising techniques without relying on God, or maybe just pragmatic approaches to programs. We think we can rest in those things, and we just follow those patterns, and we're going to have success. As a nation, we think that we can survive on the strength of our military might and industrial production, uh, maybe not so much anymore, right? Not quite the same as before. What a shaking there will have to be, he says. What calamity before we again humble ourselves into the hand of God and look to him to exalt us in his way and time. Uh, may we not wait for a, a shaking time where we feel like that bird in a cage to, to humble ourselves before the Lord and remember that our strength um, is in the favor by the grace of our God. Our strength is in Christ, the risen one. And when we struggle with that, may we be quick to repent. I need that often. I rely on myself and rest in myself. And I need to be quick to turn from that and trust in Jesus Christ and find joy in him. Not relying on self, but relying on him. And then verses 8 through 10. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. 
in this repentant prayer, crying for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. So David, here he takes us back to that time of sickness and crying out, and he goes back to that prayer, and he takes us into that prayer, a time of sorrow and distress, and he cries out to the Lord. And he prayed, as we're going to see later, he talks about sackcloth. He, he put on sackcloth, and sackcloth is... Um, well, here's a definition from a Bible dictionary. Sackcloth, it's made of black goat's hair, coarse, rough, and thick. So, so not really comfortable, all right? And it's, a, it's not breathable, all right? Um, used for sacks and also worn by mourners and also a sign of repentance. So sometimes it's used in mourning, and other times in repentance. Or maybe you would hear the phrase of sackcloth and ashes. They sit in ashes and and throw those ashes on themselves, a, a symbol of, of repentance sometimes, and other times a, a symbol of mourning. Uh, I, growing up, I always thought a cool band name would be Sackcloth and Ashes whenever I became a leader of a band, but trombone didn't really lead me into that direction, so, so I'm still looking to, to start that band. We can start, maybe, Nate, Anthony, we can start a band. Um, but there's a picture of repentance here, and he prayed, he had clothes of repentance on, and crying to the mercy of the Lord and his sickness near death, he says, Lord, be my helper. Uh, have mercy on me as he neared death. And he cries to the Lord this prayer of repentance, not relying on self anymore, but looking to the Lord and his rescue and humility. Uh, and then we see in the final couple of verses in 11 and 12, there's this celebratory, celebratory that's hard to say. You can, we can say it all three times together. Celebratory testimony of, his, of the resurrected life that we see in the, in the last part in verses 11 and 12. And in this, again, we see more contrast. There's a contrast of, of sackcloth, mourning, prayer, and that of, of gladness, clothing prayer of praise that we see the contrast between these true. So verse 11 um, just takes us in, in verse 12, into those answered prayers of God, that he heard these prayers. And there's a, a celebration that there's new life, that he's been brought up from the depths near uh, that of death and drawn up by the Lord and rescued. And we see this. He's now, he's able to, give testimony to the Lord before he's, he'd said in verse 9, um, what benefit would be there if, if I were to die? I couldn't bring my testimony before others of your faithfulness. And now that he's been rescued, he does come and he does bring dance and song before others. He's bringing the testimony of God's faithfulness before others. And there's this change of clothes, a total renewing of change from that of of mourning and repentant sackcloth to being clothed with gladness and, and dancing at the rescue and the mercy of our God as he's been healed. I see a radical change that happens, and that's the same radical change that happens in us when we turn and we trust in Christ and the continual work that he continues to do in us is his, his mercies are new every morning. Back to our study in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, you're reminded of a few verses, chapter, or verse 1 says, and you... And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, and what, what can a dead person do? Not a lot, right? 
dead in sin. And then verse 4 through 7, but God, by God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We're reminded of the new clothes that we have. In Ephesians, if you remember too, it talked about putting off the old self and putting on the new. And there's just a new life in this picture of complete newness, a complete change of clothes. No more scratchy um, goat hair clothes right now. Uh I'm dancing uh, because the Lord has rescued. So might we be reminded of how our moment, uh, momentary sorrows and trials are, are momentary in light of eternity. They're not the destination. They're part of the journey that the Lord takes us on. But that night will not be forever. That morning is coming, and we can be reminded of that and, and claim these truths and these promises and be ready. Now, maybe you have walked through sorrow. Be ready to give testimony of God's faithfulness, or maybe you're in the midst of it and asking the Lord, may I have a moment again where I might be able to come before the congregation and, and, and declare your faithfulness, oh God. But again, sometimes we do feel um, a little bit like that, uh, being a bird in a cage, being shaken. May we come, though, faithfully before our Lord and say, Lord, um, have mercy on me. Lord, may this sorrow be just for a moment. Help me that perspective that Jesus is risen. Jesus is not in the grave. He's conquered death and sin, and I can have hope in him today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the new life that we have in Jesus, that we can be reminded that our Savior Jesus Christ, he did die on the cross for us, for our sins, was buried, but is no longer in the grave, but he is risen. And because of his new life, we are reminded that we have new life in him, and then we have hope of eternal new life in his kingdom for all eternity. Lord, help us to have hope, uh, even if maybe this morning we are walking through sorrow and, and wrestling and wondering and questioning of you. Lord, help us to have faith to, to believe um, that even in this life that we will still see your goodness. And Lord, help us even to pray the prayer of the, the Father who brought his son to Jesus to be healed. I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to, to be those who are quick to rejoice and give you praise when you rescue and Help us to even walk in new seasons of rescue if we're walking through trial right now, we pray, Lord. We thank you uh, that your mercies are new every morning. Your steadfast, stubborn love is, never comes to an end, and we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all uh, celebrate.